Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Quarter. Quarter is an all-in-one investor relations app that provides frictionless access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and more. With Quarter, investors can keep up to date with all their companies while on the move. I personally use it every earnings season so that I can keep up with my portfolio companies while I'm on my commute to the office. They also just released a cool new feature that allows users to search across all transcripts. That means you could search and see how many companies mention terms like inflation or cost pressure or recession or even metaverse, you name it. Uh, and the best part of all, the app's 100% free and it's on both iOS and Android. So go find it on your app store by searching Quarter. That's Q-U-A-R-T-R, no E. That's Quarter, Q-U-A-R-T-R. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. to live stream. Okay. This meeting is being live streamed. Welcome in. This is the Chit Chat Money Investing Power Hour. I am Ryan Henderson. I'm here with Brett Schaefer. And the uh, the goal of the show, for anyone that is not familiar with it, we can talk anything investing, basically riff on anything news-wise from the week. And we take questions via YouTube live. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast, feel free to check it out. And it's Thursdays at three o'clock Eastern time, 12 o'clock Pacific time. Um, with that, the only rule is don't come prepared. Don't come prepared with a script of anything. You might have some ideas that you want to talk about, but don't come prepared with anything uh, planned out. What have you seen this week, Brett? Anything interesting? Well, while I was eating before the show, I just pulled up the new Joe Rogan, Mark Zuckerberg discussion. I think that'll be probably very fun. Uh, They talked about testing out sword fighting in the metaverse, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, But yeah, that was that. That's been interesting so far. A lot better than Zuckerberg's other interviews, where people ask all those boring questions. Um, Yeah, I think it's going to be good. It's like three hours, as those usually are, and. He hasn't talked about any specific thing. I think I've watched like 30 minutes of it, so it hasn't been too long, but I know the focus is supposed to be the metaverse. They haven't talked about anything with Facebook, Instagram, or WhatsApp whatsoever. And all they've talked about is the the VR, AR investments, which, you know, you'll say things about Zuck, but he sounds dedicated to this new project. And yeah. From the way he was talking about it, it sounds like he's in the weeds on this every day. So he's not focusing at all on the family of apps, which I also thought was interesting. Then the other takeaway is they talked about how you can take pictures with their new Ray-Ban AR glasses. Oh, I and, did see this. I saw, or I heard this sound bite. Yeah, yeah. There's some people on FinTwit retweeting it. It was very funny where they were worried about the privacy stuff and Zuck was like, well, it has a light on the side that you can that that turns on automatically if you're taking a picture, so people can't be creeps. And then uh, Rogan was like, "Well, can't you just put a piece of black tape over it?" And 
yeah, it was <laughs> that, that 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 was the only awkward part so far. But just yeah. billions of dollars invested into this into this light and Rogan's like, oh, you could put a tape over it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but either way, just similar stuff that they've always talked about or that Zuck always talks about. Nothing, nothing too new. Student Any, loan forgiveness, huh? That's a big thing. Yeah, I don't really bit know. A, bit of a political, uh, bit of a but, political hotspot, it appears. So yeah, you have to comment have to, on it too much. But we do have a uh, a company in our portfolio that is kind of affected. The, the effects are not quite clear yet, but uh, there will probably be some impact to their business. I don't know. Yeah. I honestly have no idea what to make of it. I didn't have yeah. to take out student loans, so I feel like wrong to say like anything negative. Um, but I I have seen lots of arguments lately from people that paid them off, and they're like, "Are we going to get checks?" Yeah. It doesn't seem like they could really do it anyway where it was going to be fair to everyone. Um, so that's that's the tough part. You can't, it seems like you couldn't make everyone happy. But I think the big issue that I have is it just doesn't solve the, it's kind of like a, a band aid for a, a huge wound that requires like 100 stitches or, or surgery, if you get what I mean, where the education system is not going to get more affordable because of this. So, I kind of think the I, core I, issue, yeah, you I know, will raise prices because <laughs> Let, let's do some, how about we do some, yeah, exactly. Let's do some credits for firing all the administrators at schools. The absurd amount of administrators, uh, as we know, not too long ago that work that work at these schools and eat up all the tuition. There uh, should be a rule though. If you took out PPP loans, you can't bash student loan forgiveness. Or if your PPP loans were forgiven, which I think they all were. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That should be a hard rule. I don't really. No. I mean, is it? A, yeah. I mean, were there some probably small parts of it that didn't make sense? Probably. Probably. But it's kind of a blunt tool. Is this going to be? In, here, here's the big question, though. How inflationary is this going to be? <laughs> Yeah, I have no idea. It's got, I mean, I think it has to be inflationary in some way. Maybe it'll be meaningless inflation, but you kind of think you got, okay, some people that already had some decent disposable income, they're already able to pay rent or lodging, food, and utilities. Feels like some of that money is going to be discretionary. And looking at historical trends, I doubt it is all going into the stock market as some people, I mean, you know, some people will obviously it invest goes back in into the economy. Exactly. You got to be a good consumer and help our stock prices here. Uh, uh, so everyone, everyone listening, please keep buying stuff. So all the businesses continue do you consider to well. the cost of education, a part of the inflation calculation. Uh, what do you mean? I think it's included, right? It's in- I don't know. I, I don't know what all the inputs are in CPI, but if cost of education is one, this kind of, in my mind, would give the green light to a lot of universities to raise prices. Maybe. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. We'll see what happens there if they actually raise prices. Here's an idea. Put a threshold on the amount that you can 
that institutions or universities can raise prices by. Yeah, there's a lot of things that seem pretty logical that I think most people would agree with, but we're apparently not doing. Like if you have an endowment worth more than X amount of dollars per student, either have to raise your student body or you're not allowed to charge tuition, something like that. Well, where the where would the big funds get <laughs> uh, yeah. get funds from? You know, where would we get? L- where would where are we gonna get? Where would LPs? the LPs come from? Where would where were we gonna get an LP in 15 years when we buy one stock and it 10 bags because we got lucky? Um, that wasn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, yeah. I don't know. I guess I. Maybe I haven't looked at it enough to think that hard about it. Just looking at all the tweets. The best though is when people complain about it and then the response is someone, I mean, you know, it gets it gets really people get really feisty, but the response is like a screenshot of their PP loan PPP loan forgiveness, which is beautiful. Um yeah. that I thought that, if anything, was quite funny. All right. Any other topics? Yeah. I saw. I saw Dorsey just tweeted this. You probably didn't see it because I saw it right no. before we came on. Let I think me, I saw it. I just tweeted a screenshot of it. This guy belongs in prison. I'm sorry. <laughs> in prison. Yeah. Uh, you assume he, a fiduciary obligation as the CEO of a company. It's not a nonprofit. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So here, here's let's give some context here for the listeners or watchers. Someone at just added Jack. Uh, I don't know if it was someone he knew already. At Jack, wondering what was your intent on Twitter and has it turned out the way you wanted? It feels a bit skewed leftward right now. How do we straighten it? It seems an inordinate amount of rightward leaning Twitter users are being banned or kicked off. It can't be good for MDAU. Um, okay, well, he didn't respond to anything with the political stuff, but his response was the biggest issue and my biggest regret is that it became a company, which is interesting. You thought it should just be a public utility. It shows, I think, is crypto bias, which we all knew. But it's got to be concerning if you're investing in his other company, Block, and that's like his mindset is he doesn't want... You Dude, know, yeah, this guy's uninvestable. He doesn't want... He wants his own shares to be worth something, no doubt. Uh, and he donates a lot. Of, I mean, to be fair, he donates a ton of money. To to you know good causes he did that publicly which is great but yeah you know yeah that doesn't change the fact that he seems to not care about shareholders which is fine that that is fine to not care about shareholders but if you are a shareholder I would care about that (laughs) yeah hundred percent and the employees are affected any employees that took stock based compensation uh, are probably going to be affected because. Inevitably, not caring about your shareholders is going to lead to lack of demand from shareholders. And it's almost, it sounds almost like an admittance that he doesn't care about by, well, by saying, I mean, he basically doesn't care about shareholders, but he doesn't care about generating cash for the business. There's no way that it's worth owning something that he runs. And yeah, yeah, I agree. Did, or, it's, did, or it's risky. It's really risky. Should the shareholders of Twitter have known that he did not care about generating profits at any point when he was running the company? Isn't that violating any sort of obligation you have to your shareholders, the people who own the company? It just feels like 
you should be in trouble for that. <laughs> I don't know if he's going to get in trouble for that, but I agree. Well, yeah, I mean, not anymore. He's gone. Sure. Yeah, it doesn't affect him. <laughs> what if he's doing this? Here, let me put on my tinfoil hat. What if he's doing this just to help out Elon get out of the deal? Like, look, I was so bad. I'll fall on the sword here. Think about that. Huh? They're buds. They're friends. They do drugs together. It, uh, maybe, but I, it's not going to happen. You see there's whistleblower <laughs> complaint with Twitter. That was interesting as well. Um, basically I, saying that, well, something I hadn't considered is basically it's less, the SEC finally say what? Less than 5% of monetizable daily active users are calculated to have a spammy activity, right? Mm-hmm. But then this whistleblower, which was the head of security, said they do a really good job not including spam accounts in the MDAU count to begin with, basically saying he thinks the calculation is very accurate. Yeah. Among among real other real complaints. I think <laughs> this whole lawsuit comes down to the difference between monthly active user and daily uh, uh, and monetize MDAU, the non-spam daily active user. I think we can just finish the court case in that in that regard. Yeah, that was an interesting lawsuit, though it seems, or not lawsuit complaint that Twitter. The irony also is that he's fighting it on Twitter. I mean, he's really fighting this whole thing on Twitter. If we were all spam accounts, why would you be fighting it? That is that's that is true. That is true. And then he picks like one interaction with spam accounts, and he's like, "See, I'm right." Like, but you have a problem with their reporting process. Yeah, well, I mean, come on. Are we going to expect Elon to act in good faith? Uh, I don't think it's surprising to see him act like that. If you're listening to this ad right now, we know you're already a listener to our show. But for our avid listeners, we've also started a paid membership service called Chit Chat Money Plus that extends beyond just our podcast. Every Tuesday, subscribers get access to one not-so-deep dive research episode that covers everything you need to know about a company. You also get an email newsletter with our written show notes, important charts, a transcript of each show, and access to our Chit Chat Money research files. Chit Chat Money Plus costs $5 a month. You can subscribe directly through Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or if you listen on another platform, click the link in the show notes to go through the simple steps of signing up. If you're a regular listener to the show, we think the membership will provide tons of additional value. On top of the stock research episodes, members will get one Arch Capital Fund episode a month where we outline why we bought, sold, or continue to hold a stock in the Arch Capital Investment Fund, along with shows on our broader investment strategy. Sign up and become a Chit Chat Money Plus subscriber today. We can't wait for you to join our community. Bit of an update on uh, Starbucks unionization. Okay. Eight of the last 19 store closures... This is I found some reporting that said eight of the nat, eight of the last nineteen store closures at Starbucks had u- union activity, which is for reference two hundred twenty stores have unionized have voted to unionize of their store base, which is much smaller than what eight of nineteen is like forty something percent. So it seems to be having an impact. That could just be coincidence, but it seems to be having an impact on which stores they choose to close. Also, they. I think this is kind of a warning shot, the union busting action on the part of Howard Schultz and the management team there. Uh, pay raises for everyone not at a unionized store. They, uh, oh, really? They, they gave pay raises to everyone that's not unionized? Huh. Yeah, that's well, a, apparently, a- if, you're, 
if you're a part of the, part of a union, you have to go through a negotiating process for changes like that. Right. And right. I think they did it just to highlight, well, see, we can raise your wages easily if you're not part of a union, but we have to go through a whole process if you're a part of a union. So for now, we'll just give the benefits to the non-unionized stores. It's kind of a warning shot. The uh, Do you think so this, this ends up making a difference for Starbucks? Uh, I don't know the company that well, but let me just give a take that's probably going to be wrong. That seems like a smart move to please your employees. It This seems like a problem that is not as big as maybe it is portrayed in the media just because it's a really easy story for any news outlet to take up. People know what Starbucks is. They know that the baristas, I, I, I don't know. They, a lot of people go to Starbucks. So like if it's in the news, it's, people can relate to it. love unions yeah. too. And the union stuff gets lots of clicks all the time. Any sort of on either side union stuff. Um, so I think it's probably a bigger issue than people are making it out to be. However, it's, it's always a risk with a, a restaurant or excuse me, a retail concept like this. I think Starbucks is in a better position than... A lot of other, just say, let's say, places with customer service people, either a grocery store, any sort of retail place, restaurant, they're in a much better spot than others because they already pay their baristas fairly well. They've already had that long-term stock option thing with their baristas, I believe. I don't know if they still do that, but, and they also have that, you know, moving up into management stuff. I mean... They don't have, it's all company owned stores. So I guess people can't graduate to be, you know, franchise owners, which is a little, maybe a little more, less, more disappointing for a long term employee. But you can, I assume they pay people fairly well. Um, all right. Let me paint a picture for you, though. So all this, all this barista turmoil, uh, complaints about how much harder the job has gotten lately came kind of at the same time that the focus has been on digital orders and not really the in-store experience. So, and I kind of had this thought and it maybe could still end up being the wrong take that eliminating the in-store experience destroys part of the culture of Starbucks um, and having people sit down, drink their coffee in the stores with, you know, nice seats, fireplaces, reading their newspapers, it kind of, it, it stimulates a certain type of feeling. And for the baristas, you get the experience to know your regular customers pretty well. You get to see people's faces when they come in the stores. It maybe feels a little more rewarding and you have time to kind of make those orders. Whereas now you're seeing these concepts pop up where they look basically like um, rail cars almost. Like they're just giant boxes and it's only drive-throughs and you're assembly just, you're basically just uh, an assembly line worker where maybe if you're drinking, if you're making the drinks, you don't even interface with the customers half the time. They're just driving by, picking up their digital order. You don't get to know them. Maybe that's part of the, there's, there's, you don't quite feel the reward. It's now solely focused on throughput. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Like it might be better from a customer perspective to have the digital orders if it's what they want. But if the barista experience is that much worse, yeah, it could be troubling because yeah, well, the way you describe it, I think makes perfect sense. 
part of the, I think, allure of a Starbucks barista for a certain person that would want to do that job is that you got to interact with all sorts of people all day. You meet your regulars, all that yeah. stuff. And it's a very goes, social experience. Yeah, or it was. Maybe they're maybe they're losing that now. Yeah. Starbucks uh, it goes into my too hard pile. It's just not. Uh, it's tough. It's tough. Schultz can't seem to set up the culture enough to be able to leave, which I think is just kind of a a warning sign, a uh, concern to me. Schultz is. Uh... After he, sold the, after he sold the Sonics, he's dead to me. Yeah, he's dead to us. Anyone from Seattle. Um, also, Matt oh, says wait. the unit economics on Starbucks in China are crazy compared to the U.S. That adds, I believe it, but now you're making an investment in China, It's which I, I personally think deserves a discount relative to other regions. Yeah, I mean, the growth of coffee... Yeah, so, coffee consumption in China has been off the charts. The growth in there has been phenomenal as they transition from tea. Um, luck in coffee, deep value. <laughs> yeah, I remember luck. And that, thing's, that. that thing's still alive too, isn't it? Yeah, they admitted to <clears throat> being fraudulent with their financial statements, but they were still a legitimate company. I mean, people are going to these stores. It's on the OTC market right now. I'm looking at Coifin, $4 billion market cap. We look at the last five years; it is down twenty four percent. But in the last year, it's up eleven percent. So, you could outperform. You could outperform with Luck and Coffee. There you go. You'll get all. And I'm sure they're going to return a lot of cash to shareholders, right? That'll be available, and outside of China, I'm sure that'll, you know, over the last roughly over over the last roughly four months, stock is a double. Nice. I think China's had broad. I don't follow the. Oh yeah, I guess that was kind of a interesting period for them. Yeah, I think there was. I don't know. What about this? I saw maybe the best headline this week. New topic, I guess. Well, maybe old topic. Metaverse. Maybe the best title this week that of ways to spend corporate expenses. Here it is: building the next big experiences. McKinsey talking to Salesforce about the metaverse. Now that is a Mad Libs of <laughs> buzzwords, corporate buzzwords that maybe, I mean, like I, I get it if it was maybe uh, Sony or Microsoft or a Snap or something like that. What's but your metaverse sa- strategy? Yeah, Salesforce's metaverse strategy. We need, we need the people our age at McKinsey you know, we need them writing decks about uh what's your what's your <laughs> NFT strategy? Yeah. Remember remember when every company I guess you wouldn't remember it, but the uh remember how every company would have to had to come up with a dot uh an internet strategy in two thousand and then yeah. a lot of what? that was just to raise cash. The uh we got to come up with a metaverse strategy, but I thought that passed like three months ago. It did, yeah. Uh, but McKinsey still, I mean, you know, credit to McKinsey, they're getting paid for this, but Salesforce, I mean, talk about an OpEx line that I saw some people talking about them today. Like, shouldn't their, their, their OpEx line, or excuse me, their margin should be, I would assume, similar to, you know, Autodesk, 
Adobe. But it's not. I just don't understand why. Um, if you think... They have Salesforce Plus. They have a streaming service. I'm not joking. If you think uh, layoffs are going to come in thick and fast, shouldn't you go long the consulting groups? Layoff. Wait, wait. Say that again. Say what, what's your what's your thesis there? Or the uh, is it consult. Basically, Consul- you're gonna have to you're gonna have to yeah. bring in the consultants to pro- fire everyone because you don't want to do it yourselves. You know. Oh. Oh. Okay. Basically, remember in margin call when they have to bring those people in where they're like, we're sorry, it's it's you're just no longer a part of the fit for the future outlook of this business. And then they're like, please return all this stuff. That's I mean, that's McKinsey stepping in to to right size the cost structure of oh, yeah. uh, every business. That's my favorite way to fire someone is right sizing cost structure. That's my favorite term. I don't know if that's McKinsey, but either way, I Look, I, I, I'm a big, you know, consulting company basher, kind of in the Munger camp there, copying all his takes as one does. They've but, created some goaded CEOs. Oh, well, McKinsey, yeah, I mean, Enron, I mean, come on. But no, 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 no I, if I, if I, they seems like they seem like darn good businesses. One, they're, they're just kind of, it seems very, very similar to Moody's or S&P Global, um, where it's all reputation. You're not going to go somewhere else. The brand is there. I, I, none of them are publicly traded, I think, but they seem like pretty darn good businesses. And they have that entrenchment of someone works at McKinsey, someone works at KPMG. I don't think any of them are publicly traded. Um, yeah, I could be wrong on that, but he, he, like, you have the people that work at these consulting firms and then they move on and work in managerial roles. And that creates just a huge entrenchment of you have that prior relationship with McKinsey. If you're a CEO that used to work at McKinsey and you're looking for consulting work, who are you going to go to? McKinsey. Accenture. Accenture is publicly traded, but the rest of them, yeah, they're all pretty much private. Accenture. Hmm. All right. Maybe we should look at them. Um, That'd be a painful exercise, though. Just like, man, these guys make a lot of money. $60 billion last year for Accenture, or this year for Accenture. Do you think they're higher? You think like Accenture hires consultants from McKinsey? That would be, I would love to see that if they, if they said that, because I think they're required to say that in SEC filings. I wonder if Accenture hires like a compensation consultant. That would be just amazing. I'd throw up. I'd throw up if I saw I bet <laughs> I bet their margins are still pretty good. Um, let's look at that all-time stock performance for Accenture. Went public in... Well, according to Coifin, could be wrong here. Oh, one stock up 25, 2,600%. Pretty darn good. But yeah. The, uh, apparently, the guy that founded Tiger Global came up with the name Tiger Global because he would call people Tiger when, they, uh, when he forgot their names. Oh, you're thinking uh, now, I think some people are listening to this here and saying, you're making a big mistake here, Ryan, because Tiger Global is different than Tiger. Tiger Global oh. is, yeah. Oh. yeah. But I know what you mean. I saw that anecdote. You mean the original Tiger Fund, Julian yes. Robinson, that just yes. passed away, the hedge fund legend. But yeah, Tiger Global is the one that's around now making all those investments in 
Carvana and stuff like that. Um, or I guess they got out of Carvana, but either way, the, the, they were the crossover fund that was investing in basically everything. Uh, but yeah, the hedge fund names or any, any investment or any financial name is just kind of, all right, what's something that sounds fine that, you know, you know, like the, the name just has to sound fine and that's really it. Oh, it's you know, be memorable. Uh, remember that emotional hedge portfolio I talked about last week, which yes. maybe I could call it the grudge portfolio. I still don't understand exactly what you were talking about, but I, it was fast. It was fascinating. So continue. You're, you're rooting for them to fail, but if they succeed, at least you benefit financially. So you would own that you'd go long their stocks, but you're basically short them emotionally or like mentally um, into it, I think goes into that bucket. Ooh, good one. I saw I that good. Turbo tax should be federalized. Oh yeah, for sure. Or they should just buy it. And I, maybe, in that way, I would get free. I don't have to pay in order to pay taxes, but I would benefit financially. Yeah. Hmm. If it yeah, got bad, bought out, assuming a premium. That is interesting. You have to pay to pay taxes. It's quite the well, I found that incredibly strange, but maybe I just haven't been around for long enough. And the, uh, I suppose the case they make is that there's other tax software. Um, so they aren't the only alternative, which I guess is a testament to the business and how sticky it is. Mm-hmm. But if I'm not mistaken, they pay like a good amount in litigation to stay private. Oh, Oh, they they have some what litigation you mean or lobbying? Or not or? Li- lobbying, yeah, they basically lobbying. Yeah. yeah, I saw QuickBooks is doing quite well. I saw a chart. Um. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Someone said, speaking of animals, what are your thoughts on Crocs? I took a quick look at them the, uh, a while back. That's a good joke, too. Thank you. Thank you. To whoever said that, that is that is funny. Um, I actually think it's a pretty interesting business. They bought this company, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's called Hey Buddy, that has that's just like growing like a weed. Hey Buddy, this reminds me of All Mohawk. Gr- this reminds me of Mohawk Group and a Tyrion by saying that name. Hey Buddy, <laughs> you know some random company like that. But uh, I I don't know much about Crocs. Maybe we have to cover it. I don't know. It's a deep dive sometime, although it's, uh, it's not sure on the schedule like for the rest earnings. of us. Yeah, but there's a risk. They're Coinbase earnings. 
I mean, probably a less risk. Oh, EV's a little higher. Um, it, it's just, it's just tough. It's just tough. I, or $300 million in free cash flow over the last 12 months. If I'm not mistaken, inventory's jumped a lot too. So that's maybe depressed. Um, but even if it's about a $7 billion, $8 billion enterprise value. So you're getting at like 20 times probably trailing free cash flow. But like I said, I think inventory's jumped a lot. The, uh, sure the revenue growth has been really impressive though. Yeah, I mean, everyone's wearing them right now. But if I had to ask you, this is the question everyone has. No, I, don't think, I don't think that Crocs were some huge COVID beneficiary. No, no, it's not. It's not COVID beneficiary at all. It's just trendy. Oh. I've seen my, I wouldn't call them. Let me just use, I don't know, jockey friends wearing them now. That would have never happened three years ago. Do I know that this they're going to continue wearing them three years from now? I just think there's a lot of uncertainty there. Yeah, does uh, it is retail tends to be pretty trendy. Look, but, uh, I'm looking at their. I don't know much about the company, but I'm looking at their share count. Pretty darn impressive, down from 90 million in 2014 to 61 million right now. Not bad, not bad whatsoever. Yeah, this Hey Buddy thing, I'm telling you, it's... Uh, what is Hey Buddy? It's the brand they bought. It It's basically like, kind of fits, I think it kind of fits with the Crocs MO, like what they're trying to sell to people, you know, happy, com- comfortable they, shoes kind of thing. What do they sell, shoes? Yeah. Um, I think they're like... They look like all birds? Towards kids. Uh, okay. No, they don't look like all birds. I don't think. These images look like all birds on Google. So that could be wrong. That could just be one of their pairs. Um, uh, I suppose you could say they look like all birds, but um, no, they're kind of, I don't know. They're whatever, just fun shoes, I guess you'd call it. But I think they bought them. I want to get the numbers right. They bought them for like $2 billion or something like that. And two billion, they're on, they're, that'd be a lot for their. What do you mean? That seems like a lot relative to their to Crocs's market cap. Uh, let me check. It's hey, dude, not hey, buddy. I think hey, dude. Okay, that's where. Uh, two and a half billion. That's how much they paid. Part of Jeez. it was stock. Part of it was debt. But they are now expected to do a billion dollars in sales this year, and they have like thirty percent something margins. So getting them at like, and revenues basically doubled. So I think they're getting them at a little under ten times whatever margin they report. So yeah. I don't think it's that bad. Yeah, but yeah. It's still it's still retail. Look, yeah, I mean, this is just. An, I think you just could, don't understand work. the Crocs value prop. I understand Crocs, dude. I get all my weirdo friends wear them. I've always thought Crocs were incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah, but other people like them. I don't get it. Yeah, kids are wearing them. What about Look. socks and Crocs? Uh, 
Yeah, it's, I, I, I don't know. I don't, look, it's just like, look, I see everyone wearing them right now. You know that this is just a, it's just a trendy thing. It's like, it's LaCroix. Yeah, that might sound like a weird analogy, but it's, it's LaCroix. They expect, or they, their growth initiative is to grow Sandals revenue by 4x by 2026. Sandals? So like... The Croc Sandals, yeah. Yeah. Great. That's, that, look, I may sound cynical here, but yeah, that's, that's great. I, I, I'm assuming that you know, they, want, they want to grow their revenue, but it all comes down to like trendiness. There could be five TikTok videos from these huge accounts could come out two years from now saying that Crocs are dead. And go away. It's like the it's like the uh, what are the the white shoes that girls wear now, right? That's because all the Instagram people wear white shoes. Wait, you know what I mean? The, the white shoes, the white tennis shoes that everyone wears Air now. Force ones, whatever they're called. You know what I mean? White shoe, all white shoes, right? And that's because the you know popular the popular Instagram people wear them. If the popular Instagram people stop wearing them people are going to stop wearing them because everyone just copies everyone else. I mean, Crocs has no control over what, what the demand is. They could uh, be yeah. good. You know, it seems like they're yeah. good capital allocators, but it's just, it's a hard business. He says, uh, the, the same person, Bentley, who asked about uh, Crocs, says $5 billion market cap, $4 billion trailing 12-month revenue, $640 million profit, um, and trending up. Yeah, I agree. I do share the same concern as Brett, though, around trendiness with any of these retail concepts. Um, hey, it could be at enough discounts. If it's at like eight times earnings, I mean, that could be a fair enough discount. But And shame on us if they're buying back. Or you know what? If you are a shareholder, us dismissing it so quickly is a great sign because that means the buyback will be more creative because everyone's just dismissing it. I'm kind of yeah. extrapolating out the way we thought about it to everyone else, but... Uh, I mean, the more depressed the price, the the more creative the buyback. Something else, I went out to a little anecdotal evidence. I went out to dinner with a group yesterday, and Instagram is alive and well. It still is like a staple of people's livelihood. I, I, don't, I don't get it. Is this a hot take or? or? No, but <laughs> and the, now these people were slightly older than myself. But no one was talking. We're talking. We're talking all gen two, all genders, not just not just bros. Yeah, and they're older than us, so closer to thirty. Instagram was the preferred. I didn't see anyone talk about TikTok. It was purely Instagram. And these people are closer to thirty than twenty. Yeah, twenty-five. Yeah, it's tough to tell. I think you got like, you just got to look at the numbers, right? It's hard to get anecdotes and take away anything. Because if you, if you looked at, I'm seeing some TikTok fatigue anecdotally. Yeah, remember? I think we talked about it before. How the Facebook or Meta is really not afraid to juice like, monet, not monetization, but juice usage by getting people addicted to stuff really quickly and getting them on to spend like an hour a day. And I feel like TikTok was that on steroids where people use it so much they get addicted and they realize, shoot, this isn't uh, uh, 
very healthy for me at all. And it actually makes me feel super fatigued, like literally, like I bet, you know, brain fatigue, whatever. And they leave and because it's not, um, you know, where this isn't nicotine, sugar, caffeine, they actually can leave somewhat easier. But doesn't it stimulate the same part of the brain? That push notification sends the same. I am not a doctor. Uh, I, I watched that uh, Netflix documentary on. Oh media. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, push notification sends a whatever a dopamine rush to the same part of the brain that you get from alcohol sugar. or nicotine or sugar. Yeah, yeah, and uh, cocaine and cheese. This might cocaine and cheese have the same brain. The brain activity when you eat co- do cocaine and eat cheese is indistinguishable. But besides the point, um, the, that, uh, uh, that that like, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. But again, look, it's not. I think it's easier to break a TikTok addiction than it is a smoking or coffee habit because you know I can it also be head. totally wrong. I yeah, thought I remember that, but uh, I w- I wouldn't be surprised if there's TikTok fatigue because. People like when they use it, it sounds like the usage rates are super high on a, on an hourly basis, right? And that just could be kind of uh, what, what kind of analogy should I use here? Like, there's blowing like TikTok feels like it's uh, trying to build something that's a little less sustainable than compared to maybe a messaging service. It would maybe be the under end of the spectrum where it's healthier. If you get what I mean, I, I feel like I'm describing this poorly, but do you understand? Okay, I think yeah. we're on the same. Yeah. It's also so much at once. It feels like everyone I know that gets on TikTok gets addicted so fast that it's almost overwhelming and kind of consumes too much of their day that they delete the app. But you yeah. know what? I don't know. It feels like a lot of social media <laughs> are similar in that regard. Um, numbers, the, the numbers would, are, you know, the numbers still look strong. So. I'm going to be in New York this weekend. So I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to try to gauge market sentiment while I'm there. <laughs> you're in the big apple now. You're going to be able, you're in the, I think I'll be around the financial district. So yeah, you're seeing a friend in the financial. It's district. like value investors club when they like hit you with that survey. As soon as you log on, it's like, are you seeing a good amount of bargains, a decent amount of bargains or no bargains? Those are commod- those are all curmudgeons though that never see I just any tap, bargains. It's like it's like hitting the X. I'm just like tapping through just so I can go to the next page. So I know yeah. there's no actual relevance there. That's true. That is a bad survey. It's not we cannot uh let's not run our economy and survey. I just like survey that. people. What's your what's your top stock for twenty twenty? Yeah. It would be terrible if we ran our econo- economy and made decisions with by based on surveys like that. Um that was sorry. That was sarcastic. But hey, well, you don't like you, U.S. Census data? No, no, no. That's legit. That's legit. But like other stuff. But they're you like this survey had- says that people like blah blah blah, and they're like, we need to make this giant financial decision for our country based on the survey. And you're like, oh my god, this is probably bad data. But yeah, yeah. So what are you? Oh. Uh, the Big Apple? You're gonna see some people, friends of the show. Anyone, yeah. I bet there's people that are listening. Well, they're going to be listening to this. The majority of people will be listening to this when you're about on to leave. Sunday, right? So. These come out on Sundays, yeah? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'll be there till Monday, but... You're leaving Monday. Yeah, I'm leaving Monday. 
I am meeting, yeah, meeting up with I think Paul Saro, who's been on a couple of times, Louise, um, Sanchez, who's also been on a what was it twice, looking to potentially come on a third time here soon. And then uh, I don't know, there may be some others in there as well. I looked up the data and it was like five, it's like five or seven, seven, I want to say it was seven percent of our listeners are in New York. I know. Yeah, that makes sense. Probably so, our second biggest market, or probably biggest. I think it was. I think it was the largest. No, ca- well, California is the, the largest state in terms of listenership. Uh, New York City was the largest city. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. It. Uh, so we'll see. My dream is that someone recognizes my voice while I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> What's the weather? Is the weather the weather supposed to be? Probably pretty good, right? Yeah, it looks all right from what I saw. NYC weather. I checked earlier. It was like, I mean, it feels like their weather's a little more uh, sporadic, volatile, if you will, uh, than Washington weather. At um, least in the summer. Yeah. A little bit of storms action. No, yeah, it's sunny all weekend. Nice. Like 80s and sunny. Humidity, though, right? I get claustrophobic in that city. Yeah. So uh, you know, other people can live there. That's if everyone wants to live there, that's great with me. Yeah. Uh, uh, I gotta say everyone, everyone can live there and, and I'll just live somewhere else. Right. If they all want to live there, you know, fine by me, you all, everyone else can go there. Yeah. There are an awful lot of people there. All right. Anything else financial wise from the week? Yeah. We saw that. Uh, thanks for that comment, Bentley. Have a great week as well. Crocs yeah. was interesting discussion. Um, we'll see. We could totally be wrong. Would not be surprised if we're wrong on those takes. Uh, yeah, uh, earnings has been fairly boring. Software companies seem to be doing fine. Subscription we had a models. Good report. We had a good report yesterday. <laughs> yeah, you know, always good to have a good report. Always good. All right. Get this. 17 to 24 year old demographic males and females is the fastest growing demographic in Roblox users. Surprising. Mm, they expect flex. male males from 17 to 24 to be the biggest tracked category for them in like a few months or something like that. So it is the fastest growing and they expect this trend to continue from the numbers they're seeing. Yeah. But, and I think it's like 30% of their users are older than 17, 14% are older than 25. Although <laughs> I don't know what some of those much older users are doing, given that they've had some scandals, shall we say? Oh, that stuff. Uh, hopefully, it's not the majority of the users that are older. Not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. 30% of their users are older than 17. And that was kind of the big question coming in, coming in, looking at the business. It felt like, is like, are people just going to churn off when they get to the age of 15 or whatever? Seems like they made good progress on that regard, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Still at, I know they have weird booking stuff. We're still at 10 times sales, though kind of tough i bet with bookings declining 
Are bookings declining? I haven't checked them this quarter. I think they were down 5% last quarter. Well, that's a tough one. I used to be way more optimistic on Roblox, but I kind of studied the video game industry more and I feel like eh, there are easier games to play. I guess, or not games, they're easier things to invest in. Roblox has a ton of potential. Yeah. Wouldn't be surprised if this is a $250 billion market cap someday. But there are other companies that feel more predictable. I think Roblox feels very unpredictable. Like, uh, there's just so, there's so much, I, I don't know, it's kind of a weird one where there's a lot to like. Things they do, management strategy, the ability to have possibility of a network effect and economies of scale with all the infrastructure they're building. However, if kids stop playing, it's all, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, like there's all those games within a game, but at the end of the day, they are competing with every other app for kids to click in there. Yeah. And so even though it isn't technically a game, it's a bit of a platform or a universe of games. It's still a game. Mm-hmm. On oh, another but a very social one as well. Yeah, I've never been on there. Um, seems like I don't know. But what do you think about the buff dog going all in on Oxy? Not all not in. Yeah, like, well, no, buying, uh, what is it? Fifty percent? No, authorized to buy fifty percent. So we'll see how much he does buy. But who has to authorize it, that? I think the SEC maybe or some other one of those organizations. Um, FERC or FERC, some one of those financial regulation organizations. Um, Federal could, Energy Regulatory Commission. Oh, not even financial. Okay, interesting. That's probably a good idea to have that agency. <laughs> Considering yeah. energy is such a critical need. Don't yeah, want wrong, don't want the wrong people with ownership over them. That's fair. There's also Enron. Yeah, well, there's also an article about how one of their Berkshire Energy subsidiaries is trying to build a giant wind farm in Wyoming to power Los Angeles. But there's a ton of people that are upset about the power lines through their ranches and stuff along the way. Pretty interesting. But it's funny. I always complain about NIMBY people that not in my backyard. Like we need, you know, we need more housing. We need better infrastructure, but just don't do it on my land. I always complain, but I think I'd be the same people. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. We don't want power lines obstructing the view, but it's just the way it is. Can't the... Government just buy those properties or well, sign leases of sorts. I think it's um how did the railways do it? Do they oh, that, <laughs> the railway the railroads, uh I don't know, it was an entirely different time period because the West was like totally uninhabited by well, I guess there's a lot of natives that they frankly didn't I guess they didn't care about, but I believe they just sold them the land very cheaply. So along the track, right? Just super cheaply along the track. And 
then they were able to sell the, the railroad companies were able to build and then sell back the land to build these towns to people. Um, but that would not, there was, there would just be no way that could happen today just because the land's already inhabited by people in this country. Um, Matt, Matt says if oil gets to $200, Oxy practically earns back the entire market cap and free cash flow. Well, that is, a, you know, it's not impossible, I suppose, but I got a feeling Berkshire stock will be down even if that happens. Oh, yeah, they are. That's going to be significant costs for all the other portfolio companies they have. That they would a double from here of oil prices. Gosh, yeah. Yeah. You know what? We're saying that. Is it possible? <sighs> it's possible. I have no clue. It's always weird when they talk about Oxy, though, with Berkshire. I'm like, is this guy on? I don't know. <laughs> I take this guy to drug, <laughs> drug, drug rehab or something. That's immediately what I think in my head. But it's interesting how, in general, they have the railroad, they got the energy company, and now potentially they're going to buy out this oil company. They're really the largest industrial conglomerate in the United States, um, which is kind of an interesting turn. He may not have predicted that 25 years ago. Actually, you probably would is not. Accidental, somehow a uh, derivative of Standard Oil. No, I don't think so. I read that history of oil book, and they have been their own company. I think for a, a long time. They're actually they were started later, I believe. I'm probably going to get this wrong. I believe they were started later, more in the second wave of kind of international expansion in the, I guess, around early 20th century. To mid 20th century, and then expanded heavily into the Middle East and stuff like that uh, in the post World War II era. Um, but they've been a big, like non. Oh gosh, like they're the most American-based one, if you know what I mean. So there's maybe a little bit less political risk. Yes, I was right. Thank you, Matt. Founded in 1920. All right, I read that long book. <laughs> I finally remembered something. The. So, uh... All right. What is the worst realistic concern? Like, what is the worst potential catalyst that could result in an absolute recession? Oil at two hundred. Uh, I, I what would drive oil to two hundred? Oh, okay. Well, uh, you're talking to me. I'm trying Mr. to think G. through like what could possibly go wrong. I mean, the, the uh, Russia Ukraine was. Certainly a driver, underinvestment maybe was sort of a gradual driver. I don't know. I guess it's not maybe oil. It is probably just energy prices skyrocketing in general. So not just oil, maybe broaden it out, right? Energy prices skyrocket across the board for both for businesses and individuals in the United States, just like Europe has been. Um, and that would just be because. It, I don't, it seems unlikely that that would happen because of the, our own ability to generate uh, fuel sources now, whether it be nuclear, renewables, natural gas, and oil on our own yeah. domestically. So I feel like we're insulated from that, but who knows? Let's say China invaded Taiwan. Oh, yeah. We, we, we'd what all sort be. of, uh, 
no, not not as like a fuel price catalyst, but I'm saying let's say it happened. What oh, yeah. are the repercussions? Well, Apple would be screwed, right? So that's a lot. Who's their biggest? Who's their uh, is their chip supplier? TSMC. Yeah, largest customer for TSMC. I think twenty to thirty percent of TSMC's revenue is Apple. Wow. So, yeah. If Apple's screwed, that's the that's, <laughs> that's the entire S and P. I think it's almost ten percent of like, the market at this point. Yeah. So it is. You know, wasn't that, it like seven percent of the S and P? I think it's at well, it changes every day. I think it's in between seven to ten percent. I don't think it's at ten percent, but that's crazy. I mean, if China invades Taiwan, well, yeah. I mean, do anything electronic. Maybe Bernie's got the right holdings at that point. Just the private prison and cash. (laughs) Who knows? His portfolio has definitely changed. We'll see an entirely different. His 13 Fs are absolutely useless because he's his high high turnover rate. I mean. Those questions like the oil stuff and then the Taiwan invasion stuff, they're absolutely impossible to answer unless your entire job is to be a geopolitical or war strategist and have like decades of experience learning that stuff. I mean, the amount of stuff you need to learn is insane. And whenever I read something about that, I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. So investing wise, like I kind of think just you got to invert and say, okay, how do I avoid as much China risk as possible? And how do I avoid as much uh, energy risk as possible. And I think that's pretty, ro- like, I, I don't know. I, what do you think on that? Like, is there any, is that like possible? Is it, I don't know, is it smart? Like, cause that, I mean, that keeps it's me- definitely possible to limit them it, it just, to, li- this, to limit, limit it relative to other companies in terms but, of like, or go ahead. Like, I mean, obviously some companies won't be as affected, but if, that really did happen. I think every company would be impacted in some way. Like uh, Russia invading Ukraine, I think most people, you probably would have said, ah, I don't know if this would affect my company that much, but it will have some sort of trickle down effect. So I don't think it's totally possible to avoid it. But I think digital businesses, predominantly digital businesses, had an easier time dealing with the fallout of. A lot of those geopolitical problems, um, they were able to just turn off access pretty quickly. A lot of digital businesses in Russian in the Russian market, um, it'll impact it, but it won't be quite as hurt, quite as affected. Um, companies that don't operate there, I think that's one way to limit it. So, uh, you know, if if growth is predicated on China. I.e., Lululemon and Starbucks, Nike, Disney. Well, not Disney entirely, but Apple. Apple, yeah. and Disney, a bit less, but that's a concern. It's definitely a concern. Yeah, I know, but is <laughs> like, I feel like it feels smart to do that, right? But will we be uh, kicking ourselves for avoiding Disney, Apple, Nike, Starbucks, Lululemon ten years from now? Possibly, but I would probably still stand by the decision. Yeah, because I mean, just like you have to look at. Uh, you can always be wrong, but the risk is not worth 
yeah like word here like look at yeah the ccp what they've said publicly is basically it's not too not too hot i i don't know what how to even say it it's not looking great for common shareholders <laughs> it's not looking great for capitalism i guess which whatever however you want to you know whatever your leanings is doesn't matter but if you're an investor, that matters quite a bit. Um, yeah. I saw that Apple's trying to get out of China, actually, or not trying to, that they, uh, they're shifting like some more production to India um, for the iPhone, which is interesting. Oh, let me pose this question to you. If you could, it's the Chris Bloomstrand question because he based it off how long the u.s has been in existence which i think was like 246 years um if you had to make an investment today you had to put all of your capital into one thing today and it's a 246 year investment you can't change it what are you going with has any company has any publicly traded companies existed from that time to now uh maybe a big bank maybe a english bank we got well it's got to be european companies i think i would go with oh gosh the euro no <laughs> the dollar no 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 land no, no, no. I would go with, yeah, land for sure. Gotta do land. Where? Land where? Pacific Northwest? Maybe. What if, what if we're invaded? <laughs> we're invaded? They strip you of your land. Well, then, uh, I mean, if you get stripped of all your ownership rights of anything, then, <laughs> you know, I think the question's moot. But, I would probably go land in a place that has good water supply. Although water supplies I, I might go. I might go like some sort of an index fund. Global index fund. Yeah, there's no. If you can go global, why take the risk on a single country? So yeah, global index fund. But I think that's almost cheating. Well, that's cheating because then I can say I'm going to go land in. Every you know every single geographical area, a, a global REIT. Yeah, you can have it. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe that, maybe that is a thing. All right, I think we're getting close on time. Yeah, one o'clock. All right, so that's an hour. Thanks everyone. Thanks Matt and Bentley for the questions in the chat. If you guys want to listen to these live and ask us questions, I know I say this every week, but we're on on Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern time, 12 o'clock Pacific time. Um, you just go to YouTube, chit chat money. It's live. There's a chat feature. Uh, it always helps to get questions. Thank you all for listening. I'm going to throw a disclosure on this. Brett and I are not financial advisors. Anything we say or discuss is not formal advice or recommendation. We are general partners at Arch Capital, though, so clients may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.